You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my always lovely other half, Dr. Jess. You've been MIA. I, I have been MIA. It's been a long time since I've heard you say you're the, I don't even know what you say, you're the co-host, the co-pilot. Yeah, I'm the, I, I'm here. <laughs> you're back, you're back. And today we're going to be talking about uh, some interesting topics. So the intersection of sex and medicine, what makes sex good, what makes a date night successful. This all sounds good. I'm very interested in what makes sex good. I really miss that. Well, what makes sex good to you? Ooh, excitement. Um, wow. That's so vague. I know. I'm, you're putting me on the spot. I think it kind of just depends how I'm feeling. Sometimes I want you to do new things. Sometimes I want you to do the same things. So, I but what determines like whether sex was good or bad? Like, if we've had sex in the last week and you know one time was good and one time wasn't as good, what's the difference? Yeah, I'm trying to think. So for me, it's just being in the right mindset, being relaxed, and once I'm there, I'm, I find the, the sex a whole lot more intense. Like, I find I can really zone in. So for me, it doesn't sound sexy at all, but what makes sex great is just being in the right headspace, like being present. Yeah, being present and being into the moment because yeah. I find when I'm distracted I just don't enjoy sex as much well you say it doesn't sound sexy but that's a lot of what the data says right it's like good lovers are, are good lovers are present and in the moment and not thinking about performing yeah and I think people want uh, I mean I, I talk to people and I think they're hoping for a magic pill it's like if you do this everything will always be awesome and like I'm just the, like the arch position Please tell me. I have this uh, press op out right now that I have to respond to. And it's about how to do the arch position. So for the arch position, uh, I guess it's for a person. Okay, so one person does a bridge. Like, you know, like they put their hands behind I'm, their I've head. already hurt myself. So yeah. I don't even know what yeah. the rest is. And a but... gymnastic bridge, not like the yoga bridge. Okay, I might be getting this wrong. So please don't. Are you talking about a back bridge? Like yes. Like one of those. Like a full back bend. Like what, what Anna and I do on the paddle board. So folks, you imagine you're standing straight up and you're standing with your feet on the ground and then you lean back and put your hands on the ground of course you can do it from lying on your back as well it's like a backwards you yes right yes so you're like a rainbow so is this we are for... the least descriptive people yeah ever. i know this is real bad but <laughs> so please like tell me the rest because i feel like i've already pulled my penis at yeah. this point so you would get into a back bend and then i would sit on top of you and yeah, the no, idea is you get happening. an erection at the same time I just, I feel like this would end with a story of how I broke my penis. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, I and think I'd hurt we, your neck and, and other body parts too. Anyhow, I guess we're getting away from what makes sex good. To me, anything that feels extra acrobatic like that doesn't make sex good. Like, I, don't, I like comfort. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, I like comfort, that would not be comfortable for me, but I'm just not that flexible working on it. But I just feel like that would be, I don't know, maybe one day we'll, you can't we'll touch pull some toes. sting stuff and we'll end up in a 14-hour sex romp where I've contorted myself into I, that i guess i guess I <laughs> all right i know that um off the top i, I want to say thank you to our sponsor ioba toys you don't have to bend all over for them um so for their support of this episode so if you haven't heard of ioba toys you're definitely going to want to check them out because they're totally different so they're not vibrators they're not clitoral suckers or pleasure air toys there's something completely different so they are I'm going to describe them in my own words. They're massagers that that work in this come hither pulsing motion and they're super quiet. So they have two toys right now. One is called the Oh My G and the Oh My G is a G-spot massager with three different intensity levels and it has this massaging pearl, but it's bigger than a, a regular pearl. Well, I guess pearls come in different sizes, but it's like the size of a, an almond, a bit bigger. And it has this kind of unique C-shape that makes it 
targeting, you know, the, the G-zone area. So it slides inside and the pearl kind of goes up and down in this kind of cool push-pull movement. Uh, go to my Instagram to get was, a picture of it. I was just going to say, that was the Instagram mm-hmm. story that you had that everybody liked. Yeah, and then they have another newer toy called the Oh My C, which is the same technology, but it's external. So it's a clitoral massager that also has this rotating massaging pearl, and it sort of mimics a tongue and fingers so it's you know kind of meant to feel a little bit like oral and it fits in the palm of your hand and so definitely recommend people check out our ioba's toys you can check them out at iobatoys.com so i-o-b-a-t-o-y-s.com and i've got a discount code and this is a a deep discount 30 percent off this week with code dr jess again iobatoys.com so we we have been getting more and more questions for the podcast and we're going to do a question and answer episode soon i promise but I wanted to quickly address one that came in very recently. And this person wrote in to say, about two years ago, a new priest came to our parish and we hit it off. After a short time, I found that I was really attracted to him. He seemed so friendly. And on one occasion, when he thought I didn't see him, I saw him smile very sincerely in my direction. However, lately he has become frosty and he just says a courteous hello or good night when I see him. I can't ask him outright why he is suddenly cooler with me but it's difficult for me to accept i'd like to be his friend i can't see that happening anytime soon what do you recommend do you think he's turned against me so um i think i would recommend not reading too deeply into this whole situation so you say that he offered you a sincere smile but a sincere smile doesn't necessarily mean anything more than just being warm and friendly and it's possible he's not available so you know you ask if he's turned against you I don't think he's necessarily turned against you, but maybe he's picking up on your attraction. And if that's not something he can reciprocate or not something he's open to, that might explain why he's cooling off with you. So, uh, you know, I think oftentimes we're attracted to people who are unavailable and then we try and look for different signs. But sometimes it's, it's just not the right fit, right? They're not available. So if you want to be friends, I think you can let him know. But let's be honest, if you want something more and he can't give it to you, you have to be realistic. And you, I think you also have to ask yourself if you're attracted to him and you feel something more than friendship, are you really okay with being friends or are you hoping for something more? Are you using friendship as a door into something that perhaps he can't give. I don't know. Do you want to add anything, babe? No, I think you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, the the language was really powerful, frosty. And, and I think I just think like, what are you hoping for? Because being friends is one thing, but wanting something else is another. And then on top of all that, you might not know what that person is going through that particular day or that moment. I mean, when somebody, you know, glances past you, there could be something else on their mind. They could be going through something else. I mean, I think I've been perceived at times as being, I don't want to say aloof, but maybe not interested in something and it's if I'm distracted or I'm thinking of something else it could come across like that yeah but I mean it sounds to me here that it's not like she's misreading his being aloof it sounds like maybe he's he's not available or he's not interested and I think that like maybe I'm reading too deeply into this as well because it's just you know a short little note which I appreciate because I can't always read the five paragraph essays folks (laughs) um but I think that it, it sounds like maybe, you know, this is just uh, a working relationship, right? Like he's a priest at your parish, you're a parishioner, he's going to be friendly, and that's that. And to me, it really brings me to the idea that we tend to to look for more than what is there when we experience an attraction. And that's part of what makes the attraction so exciting, right, is that they're unattainable. So maybe this is something that you can use in fantasy. Maybe this is something that you can enjoy on your own, but be realistic about what you can expect in real life. So I hope, maybe that's not the answer you want to hear, but I hope that it's a little bit helpful. 
All right, so we are going to do a whole Q&A episode. We have so many questions coming in, uh, and I promise it's coming up in the next month. For now, are you ready to talk sex in South Beach? Sounds exciting already. All right, let's do this. <laughs> Joining us now is Dr. Sanjaya, a clinical sexologist, professor of medicine at the University of Miami, the author of the best-selling book, Sex in South Beach, and the host of her own podcast, also entitled Sex in South Beach. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Jess. It's such a pleasure. Are you hanging in there down in Miami? We know that, you know, there's a little bit of uh, fire going on in, in South Florida and all over Florida. A little bit of Delta, yeah, <laughs> making its way around. Luckily, I'm home and I live at the beach. So the beach is one place where you can go, clear your mind, you know, get aligned and forget about everything else that's going on, you know? So I'm very, very, very fortunate in that way. And, you know, one of the keys to just being happy healthy and having any kind of potential for sex is trying to block out the negativity. So living in Florida, it kind of makes you a master at that. Yeah, there is something about that ocean breeze, isn't there? Oh my gosh, the breeze, the smell, you know, and every now and again, um, a hot person walks by nearly <laughs> naked, you know, little every, eye candy never hurt. <laughs> every 0.7 seconds in, in South Beach. <laughs> exactly. Now I was reading your bio and I read that you were raised by civil rights activists and there seems to be this strong intersection with civil rights and human rights and sexuality. So I'm curious how your upbringing has informed your work as a sex educator. Well, thank you. I was raised in San Francisco and I was born six years after interracial marriage was legalized. And my parents are two different races. One is white and one is black. And my father was actually pulled over and questioned when my parents were on their way home from their honeymoon. And that really influenced my upbringing. I guess my parents' struggles and the things that they overcame to be together really influenced the way that I was raised. And I was protesting at like seven years old. That's the same year I went to my first lesbian wedding. I was always raised with a sense that everybody really deserves the same access to everything. And being a woman in America, you realize that, hey, hmm, I mean, when it comes to sex, some people are always coming and some people are not, you know, and when it comes to sexual rights, you know, some people feel it's okay to grab a woman by her, you know, her, um, her poonanny or whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to use the P word. You know, I like to call it the sugar box and I totally feel not appropriate to grab my sugar box unless I ask you to. And my parents always thought that was really, you know, those are really, really good principles. And growing up being a heterosexual female, I saw right away that men had the upper hand in almost every way and everything. And I thought, you know what? We deserve pleasure too. It shouldn't all be about pleasuring a man. It shouldn't be about a man has any, a man should have no decisions over what I do with my body. My mother was one of the people who marched to make sure that women had access to the birth control pill so that women could have sex without being pregnant. And I believe in the same thing. Women should have sex and they should be able to really achieve optimal sexual pleasure with every sexual exchange. And I recognize such a gap. I went to all girls Catholic school. That's probably how that gap happened. I remember asking like, what does it mean when a woman gets wet? And they're like, you're going to find out when the time's right. But it turns out no, because if you're with Harvey Weinstein, you're probably never going to find out. So I really wanted to make sure that women knew how to get wet, that no other girls grew up like I did wondering what that meant and not putting myself at risk for a potentially fatal disease or unplanned pregnancy, especially if I wasn't going to 
have pleasure. And I really just recognize as you did with your career, that there's just this huge gap. Who's teaching people that sex should be like ice cream. It's not about porn and rape. It should taste good, feel good, you know, make you laugh, make you smile. And I wanted to figure out how to do that for myself. And that sort of prompted uh, this career, but it was based on where is it? Where's the sex education for women? Viagra is now out there. Cialis is out there. Insurance still doesn't want to cover my birth control pills, but men now can take a pill to get hard. And my parents really encourage that. I love I that. Mean, I love that. Now- after the initial shock from my dad. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, I could be on the pole. It's the other way. Right. Or you could do both. Absolutely. So your doctoral work, what did you study? I know that you've done a lot of work in HIV uh, down in South Florida. Florida, I think, has the highest HIV rates in the country. And I saw that you have a podcast on PrEP and other options. But what was your doctoral thesis or dissertation? I was actually looking at sex behavior differences between immigrant populations and American born populations because what I learned looking at HIV in graduate school was there were some significant disparities and a lot of foreign born populations were actually at increased risk for HIV transmission. I wanted to know what was behind that and what we found actually was that in certain countries they weren't, not that America has the best sex preparation for us, sex education to teach us how to stay out of trouble. But in certain countries, they really, really encourage abstinence. And this abstinence-only education, what that really does is leave people who are sexually aroused unprepared for sex. And so when you have someone who's always planned to be a virgin until they get married and all of a sudden they're in a situation where they're sexually aroused and they want to have sex, but they've never planned for that, they put themselves at increased risk. So I really wanted to know what was behind that. And it was in New York City. I went to Columbia University, which is where Dr. Ruth, which is how I ended up there, because before you and me, there was Dr. Ruth and she was the first to really start talking about sex in a way that was palatable. So I wanted to also, I wanted to continue that. I wanted us to talk about sex so much that we chose talking about sex more than we talked about the weather. Who cares if it's sunny or rainy if you haven't had sex for six months? (laughs) Because now you're a bitch. Excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, I I can get a little bit moody when it's cold, but also if if it's cold for me in the bedroom, absolutely. That's really interesting. And I'm wondering, I don't know if this came up in your research, if folks from countries with a history of colonization, if abstinence education was more prominently featured there. Like we, we are, we know, and I think listeners know that we have a wealth of evidence showing that abstinence education continues to fail us in terms of health outcomes from all perspectives. We know that comprehensive education, self, sexual health education does nothing to hasten the onset of sexual activity, right? Talking about sex doesn't lead to sex. What leads to sex is the innate desire that many of us have to have sex. And so I'm wondering, did you look at it country by country or were you looking at it from like certain populations? I imagine, for example, as American, Americans, Canadians are foreigners, but also people from all over the world are foreigners and we have such different sexual health education systems. We actually, there wasn't enough people in my doctoral study um, to look at it country by country. Half the population were immigrants. So we just compared the immigrants and most of them were actually from the Caribbean. So yes, colonization, but yes, what we did find is we call it, and I I actually almost hate to use this term in this day and age, but countries that seem to have a more machismo dominant sort of culture where men are really running the show and women don't have the same sorts of freedoms 
and rights, those were the countries that seemed to have the populations who are least prepared to have safe, safe sexual experiences. That makes sense. So if safer sex goes hand in hand with pleasurable sex, which you've alluded to, it makes sense that when there is more gender equality outside of the bedroom, there will be more inside the bedroom. That means more pleasure, but also more conversations about, you know, what feels good. Because when we think about safer sex, oftentimes we're thinking about, you know, prophylactics like condoms and barrier methods, but it's also what's emotionally safe, what's relationally safe, what feels interpersonally safe. I'm just so happy to see those expansion of conversations into those areas. Now, not only did you work in HIV and do this research in the area, but I realized that one aspect of your work is also teaching physicians how medicine interacts with sex. So how it can improve it, perhaps how it takes away from it. So I'm really curious in your practice, what lessons you share with your students about sex and medicine? Well, a lot of doctors, like people, don't realize that sexual satisfaction and sexual functioning is an incredibly important aspect of your overall well-being and health. I made light of it earlier by saying, like, you're going to be in a bad mood if you haven't had sex in a while. But we've seen that person, and we're all thinking about this person who we work with, like you're in the coffee machine, or they cut you off in the parking lot, or you're getting your stuff from the coffee machine. Let me finish that sentence. And they're like, excuse me, I was there, I was there. And you're like, oh my God. Like Rosanna is always in the mood. She needs to get laid. And we say that, but we also know there's all of these explosive physiological benefits from a wonderful orgasm. People often ask me, what is good sex? How do you quantify that? I say, did you have an orgasm? Otherwise it's like uh, going to the airport and missing the plane why waste your time? Like nobody wants to do that. If you're going to pack your luggage, you might as well take your trip. And I feel the same way about sex. And so when I'm really focused on helping doctors understand are these incredible physiological benefits, explosions of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, all of these feel good hormones that people achieve when they have a fulfilling orgasm, and it's okay to ask patients about sexual functioning and pleasure, even though it is normally on the patient intake form. It's the one thing in a time limited re insurance reimbursement is really limited. It's the one thing you can kind of skip over. Do you have any sex problems? No. No. And sometimes if someone's had a major illness like cancer or they've been diagnosed with diabetes or heart disease, it can be easier to address. These are the sexual implications that go along with you surviving this illness. But other times people are not diagnosed with a clinical sexual dysfunction, but they just don't enjoy sex. Maybe it's painful for some reason. Maybe they've never learned the positions that are great for their body. Maybe they've never learned how important foreplay is. Maybe, you know, they don't know that if a woman has an orgasm prior to penetrative sex, she's much more likely to have an orgasm during penetrative sex. So really what I focus on is not only helping doctors and future doctors understand all of the health benefits of good sex, sex that produces an orgasm, it's also helping them understand how to use the clinical interventions, some of which need to be prescribed, but others don't need to be prescribed. And there's so many clinical interventions that are available now. There's the O-shot, that's the orgasm shot, which is good for both men and women. 
And all it is is extracting your blood, getting the platelet rich plasma, spinning it in the centrifuge, injecting it back. And people always, I'd say a visual of that is like Kim Kardashian got the vampire facial, the Kardashians. And it's sort of what you can do to your vagina or your penis. It makes men, it can make them, it can make their erection stronger. It can help with delayed ejaculation problems or premature ejaculation problems. And for women, the O-Shot has helped with pain. It's helped with feelings of becoming tighter after childbirth. And it's non-hormonal, non-pharmaceutical can be done during your lunch break. The Mona Lisa laser is another great intervention. I've helped a lot of breast cancer and ovarian cancer survivors by just telling them about the procedure. Insurance covers it for some population. It can be be done during your lunchtime. There's no hormones. So that's why it's great for people who have had a hormonal-based type of cancer. And then we know there's also things like lube injectors. Some people have problems getting wet or they're going through menopause or they've gone through gender confirmation surgery and they want to be lubricated. So we give them a lube injector. Again, it doesn't require, you can get it from, you know, any major retailer, any sort of online place. And it gets the lube way up, way up, how you say way up in there, way up in there. there. So it feels supernatural. And then of course there's, I mean, there's MD made now toys. They call, I think I was at a, a conference two years ago, the sexual medicine society of North America. And they had, I call it a clit sucker but it's a device, a medically made device. Therefore it costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but that basically blows on a woman's clitoris and makes her feel stimulated. And doctors recommend to use it before you go on a date. So you have your nice little glow. And there's things like, you know, erection injections for men who are suffering from diabetes and they can't take Viagra or Cialis. And for women, we know now there's Addy, And then there's also surgery for, I mean, I often say surgery is the last resort, but if people are really uncomfortable with their anatomy and they want to make changes, there are surgical options, but your doctor can't help you if they don't know about it. I think probably the biggest barrier is who wants to have that conversation with your doctor. You're like, ah, and then oftentimes they're saying our doctor's also saying, ah. Right. And, and so that's, do you help the doctors find the language to ask the questions of their patients, right? Because if it does get glossed over, like, okay, no sexual issues, as opposed to stopping and saying, you know, how are things going sexually? right? Are you sexually active? Have you had any new sexual partners? Like one one criticism or one concern of mine is when doctors say, are you still married? Well, marriage doesn't necessarily indicate sexual behavior, nor does it indicate new partners or lack thereof, right? You can very much be married and have new partners. You can very much be married and be having all the sex or none of the sex. And so just the language focused on behavior as opposed to identity or legal status or anything like that can make a real difference. I'm just so glad to hear that that you are training doctors in this area because I know that there is not mandatory training in sexual health. And when it does exist, it tends to be uh, rather sparse. So these are such, such important conversations. I wanted to go back to what makes good sex because I like that you're defining it as you know, sex that produces an orgasm. But I also want to add that what I'm seeing is that, first of all, some people actually do enjoy sex without orgasm. I don't happen to be one of those people. Doesn't sound like you're one of those people. (laughs) Brandon, you're not one of those people. Or are you? I don't know. No, I I enjoy the orgasm. I definitely do. (laughs) I know. I never hear you say like, oh, stop. It's good. I I got my fill. (laughs) Yeah, no, you probably never hear that from me. 
Uh, but it's interesting because I've done some interviews where people have talked about orgasm being so many different things, right? So it doesn't have to be that earth shattering specific release. It's anything that feels really good for you, right? Really pleasurable. And that language you think for medical professionals would really be useful, right? What is an orgasm? Well, oftentimes people will say it's when you have the muscular contractions. But, you know, Brandon, you've talked about you can have the muscular contractions without the kind of euphoric feeling of release. And you can have the euphoric feeling of release without the muscular contractions. And all of this can I, get, go ahead, babe, sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just going to let you finish and, and I'll share my experience. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I just, yeah, there were a few instances where I was like, did something, did I just, did that just happen? Like, did I, did I finish or and then I'm not really sure. And I think it's because I've equated an orgasm with this. I'm sorry, but I've, I've always equated it with the, like the finish. You know what I mean? And I've had to re, I've had to understand that just because I'm finished doesn't mean that my partner is finished. But right? what do you mean? Just because I'm, you mean ejaculation? I've, I've orgasmed. Yeah. Ejaculation. I'm sorry. And just because I've, you know, I finished doesn't mean that, you know, my partner has, and I, we still can't enjoy, you know, sex. Absolutely. I think that what you guys are talking about is incredibly important to address. I can, what, what you actually brought to mind, Dr. Jess, when you were speaking to me is this time when I was in graduate school and this guy took, a guy I was dating, took the train with me to Columbia. And I actually had an orgasm on the train from the way that he was playing with my hand. And I don't think I wet my pants or anything. I ended up, you know, I went to class, but what there's so many types of sexual pleasure and i so many times people this is a big big issue i have the difference between desire and like an orgasm and many people think sex is all about the orgasm so i said good sex is when you have an orgasm but good sex i guess i do all these lectures i did this lecture at la perla the underwear store about building of desire because remember an orgasm is the culmination of desire and desire is, and this is my specialty because that's what really makes relationships last. People, how do we keep the spark alive in a relationship? Oh my God, I've been looking at you, in my case, from my husband, 13 years. Ugh, shoot me in the head. You know, I'm like, oh, you have a beard? I didn't even notice. And you're embarrassed because you've been looking at this person for so long. So how do you keep the spark alive? And I think that it is finding new ways to make sex good and allowing the relationship to have sexual, sort of a sexual evolution. And I do, I create these experiences Experiences. I have this experience called date night special, which takes couples through. It's all natural sights, sounds. It's arousing the senses, arousing desire by igniting your five senses. Remembering an orgasm could be something as light as a peacock feather, just while you're fully clothed, just around your neck, on your face, on your ankles, anywhere where you can feel skin. And I remember giving this feather to a man, his wife is blindfolded and they're at date night special. And he's like, I've never seen her shake like that. And I'm like, dude, buy a feather <laughs> find one in the park <laughs> buy a feather so I do think so yes with doctors we do give them language and how to speak about these things and also remember doctors are people just like everybody else right so they're having a lot of times their embarrassment and their reluctance to talk about it is because they're having some of the same challenges in their own life very few people we know are having a sex life they've always dreamed about because they're not listening to us 24 hours a day but <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to go back to this date night special. So what is it? Walk us through it. Can people try it on their own tonight? The five senses. Oh, yes. So date night special. It was 
pre-COVID, and we are getting back now, we're going to do a virtual, um, a virtual version, but pre-COVID, we had an event once a month where we took five couples out for a night in South Beach to strengthen their sensual bond. We meet at the World Erotic Art Museum and have a nice happy hour there where couples engage in questions. I have question cards. They ask each other questions over wine and appetizers that they've never asked each other before. We go on a curated tour of the largest collection of fine erotic art in the United States. And then after we engage in this 15-minute exercise that I created, because as you know, there's 8 million couches where you can go and complain about your partner, but where do you go play? Where do you go evolve your sensual connection? And I recognize there's this gap. Why are we focused so strongly on sex problems? And in my career at the medical school, it is. It's all about sex problems. Nobody really wants to fund sexual pleasure. So this is what my business is all about. So after the, the tour of the art, they come back and we engage in a 15-minute exercise. It actually is outlined in my book. It's called Sex Sense. And it starts off with, did you know blindfolds are exciting? And it talks about the different ways you can arouse the senses. And I even have a soundtrack of music that we created and own. That's time to exactly 15 minutes because we know people are too busy. That's why we have no time for sexual desire. We're too busy to get into the mood. We know women have Sexual dysfunction among adult women in America is the most common problem. And it's not so much when we're having sex that we're having the problem, it's that we don't want the, we don't have the desire to engage in sex. That's our main problem. So that was really the basis of this 15 minute exercise and it works on both men and women. And it starts off with someone has to pick who's gonna be blindfolded. Once you're blindfolded, because we know once you remove sight, all of your other senses are immediately heightened. Of course, you can use a scarf to blind you, your husband's tie anything that you want, a handkerchief to blindfold. And then we know that there are certain smells that arouse desire. And three of the smells that have been found to be the most potent desire arousing smells in the world, this research was done by the Chicago Taste and Research Institute, are vanilla and cinnamon and lavender and the smell of pumpkin pie, which is why you always see everyone in line at Cinnabon. Isn't that nuts? Right. right? And that, oh, sorry, all those all those people lining up for their pumpkin spice latte. It's almost that season right? up here in Canada. Uh, you know, I might mock them, but maybe they've, they're onto something. <laughs> they really are. And then so the couples walk, we have essential oils. We put them everything in a kit. So one person's blindfolded. And then these are three essential oils that we recommend that you put on your finger or your lover's finger and then just smell them. And then we give the language in the book. It tells you it's step-by-step step exactly how you would do it. And it tells you what you might want to say to your lover, like, Cleopatra used lavenders to seduce her partners, you know, to seduce Mark Anthony. And then after that, there's taste. We know there's certain tastes. Like we know that honey arouses desire. We know that ginger increases blood flow, right? It, and that's really what you need. You need your blood flow to really be rushing down south when you're sexually excited. We know that dark chocolate has been scientifically proven to really mimic um, the feelings of lust in your brain. There's tons of studies that show the ingredients in chocolate, once they're released into a woman's brain, that she does feel like she's in love, which is hilarious. So when girls say, hey, I'm home alone on Saturday with my box of chocolates, that's real. <laughs> she's going to get it on. My dad eats a um, lot of dark chocolate, like a lot of dark chocolate. <laughs> yep. And dark chocolate is the richest. 
And then, and then we know there's certain sounds, like certain instrumentals played at certain frequencies that also can arouse desire and help move your chakra energy from the root chakra, you know, through the sacral chakra center of pleasure. So I've cultivated, you know, I've put all this research together and cultivated a 15 minute experience for couples to walk through. And then at the end of the experience, they're ready to go to bed. They're done. And they're all, I remember someone's like, when I did it on someone once, they're like, can I hug you? Can I let's go smoke a cigarette? And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. Take the bag home and do your man or your woman or whoever your partner is, because it's not gender specific. It works on every gender, every sexual orientation. I love that. And so folks can try some of these on their own kind of right now, you know, whether or not you purchase the book and or not. But if you want to learn more and really dig into it, definitely check out Sex in South Beach, uh, your, your book, which walks you through it step by step. Uh, one day when you come to Toronto, you'll have to host that event here. I was already thinking we don't have a world erotic museum here, but we do have other spaces that might be conducive to it. What really strikes me from that five sense approach is that when you tune into ASAP, you can't be kind of in the past or the future. You're only in the present. So it really is grounding and mindful. And even let's say lavender doesn't arouse you. It's not that it's, you know, a direct path to like, I smelt lavender, I'm soaking wet, or I smelt lavender, my penis is hard or whatever it is, you know, you see as arousal. But while you're smelling that lavender, you're kind of not doing anything else, right? Like if you really tune into the scent, you can't be thinking about the pile of work. You can't be thinking about your kids in the next room. So grounding through the senses, I think can just be so valuable. So I love that exercise. I greatly appreciate that it's only 15 minutes because, you know, the idea of dedicating an entire evening or an entire weekend or day is doable for some people, but not for all of us. And it's probably not doable on an ongoing basis. So this is something that you can commit to yourselves to do once a week. Like, is your relationship worth 15 minutes of investment? And it doesn't have to lead to sex, but it it is unlikely to not lead to some sort of connection, feelings of intimacy, understanding, at minimum feeling in the moment together, which let's be honest, like so many of us can go days without ever really feeling in the moment. I know, Brandon, when we get really social, when we have tons of events going on, it's easy to just kind of move past one another. But if we were to take just a snippet from these exercises, I think it would be really valuable. So thank you so much for that. Uh, folks, you absolutely need to check out Sex in South Beach. Definitely follow along with, with Dr. Sanchaya's work. Uh, check it out. We're going to leave all of your notes. Do you have any last pieces of insight or advice for folks before we let you go? The last thing I'm going to say is for some people, 15 minutes was too long. Honestly, it was too long. So they got so turned on. So one thing that we did, which I never intended to do, is we created a body oil called Sense Aromatherapy body oil. And we used to actually sell it as a desire inducing thing because it was so potent. But then moms started using it on their whole family. And they're like, look, my kids can read. You got to change the labeling. So it's sense aromatherapy body oil. And the reason why parents use it on their kids is because in addition to igniting feelings of pleasure and desire, it's made from some of those same essential oils that we discussed, but it also um, repels mosquitoes because being eaten should feel good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Where can we so, find that? I know that that's on your website? Yes, it's on my website, sensebodyoil.com. It's also on Amazon. You can read all the reviews and I'd be happy to send you a bottle. We're going to talk to your team and get you a bottle.
bottle because when you're on the go, when you're on the rush, we even have doctors, they come in so stressed out after patients, especially during COVID and they just come and they rub it all over their face. I'm like, stop, it's body oil. They're like, it, it just really relaxes them. And my girlfriends and a lot of customers say, when my man brings it out, I know it's sex time because 15 minutes is too long, but you know what? You can give a brief massage with it. And even though we say for external use only, I've heard it's been used a lot of different ways and we've had no complaints so far. So there you go. Makes sense to me. Thank you so much for joining us to share your insights today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been following you for a long time. I'm so grateful to spend this time with you. And you've been great. It's always good to have the man on, you know. A man. Just, just <laughs> listening and learning. Just, just taking notes. Going to do the, the 15 minute, the 15 minute process. I just want the body oil, brand. The body Yeah, I know. Brand. I know. You just want the body rub. I yeah. <laughs> I don't need all the scents. And I don't want the pumpkin pie or pumpkin, whatever that is. That, that and the chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The body oil and the chocolate. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a great one. And thank you for listening, tuning in. Uh, please do go check out the Oh My C and Oh My G at iobatoys.com. I-O-B-A. Uh, for folks who have listened to me talk about sex toys before, you may know that I don't use a lot of internal vibes. Like I'm not a huge fan of internal vibes. I tend to like external. I do like some blended and there are really only a few internal toys that I personally use and the Oh My G is one of them. I, I kind of like that pulsing press and release sensation as opposed to solely vibration. So it really is a, a unique sensation whether you like external or internal. Again, the Oh My C is external. The Oh My G is internal and of course you can play with them in different ways at iobatoys.com and the discount code for 30% off this week is Dr. Jess as usual. Folks, wherever you're at, I hope you're having a great one. We'll be back next week. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.